This is the Humanist Report with Mike Figueredo. Welcome to the Humanist Report. My name is Mike Figueredo, and this is the 64th episode of the podcast. Before we get started, I have to thank several new individuals for sponsoring this episode and joining the independent media revolution. Today, I have to send a big thank you to Kevin and Heather Michelonis, and I would advise you to check out NowhereToGo.com. This is their website. They help with a charity, and they're just doing fantastic work. Also, I have to thank Adrian M., James Paris, Angelo Nasios, Marcin Diziemba, Juan Ortega, and Al Fabish. All of these individuals decided to support the show either through Patreon or our membership page on humanistreport.com. And if you too would like to join these people, then you could visit the links down below in the description box. Or if you don't have money and would still like to support the show, you can either whitelist us on Adblock or use our Amazon link to shop. So today's episode will be focused almost exclusively on the WikiLeaks release of John Podesta's emails, because I think this is a huge story and the mainstream media just isn't covering it sufficiently. So I feel as though I have to make up for where they're lacking. Now, there are other people like TYT Politics, Jordan Sheridan, Let the Madness Begin, Tim Black, that are all covering it very well. Uh, so check them out as well, because clearly I'm not going to be able to cover everything from these emails because there's a lot. But I will be covering what I think is most pertinent that I found so far. But again, more revelations may come forward. I don't know how many batches they're going to release. So just bear with me. I'm going to cover what I think is important. And that includes the media collusion between Clinton's campaign and various outlets, as well as the pay-to-play deals between Clinton's State Department and the Clinton Foundation and the tactics that they used to vilify Bernie Sanders and potential brazen corruption. So all of these topics will be covered um, so let's go ahead and jump right in because we've got a lot of emails to get into. So I really shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Having a free and open media is a necessity in a democracy because the media is supposed to serve as a mechanism of accountability and actually hold our elected officials accountable. But according to John Podesta's emails released by WikiLeaks, we found out that many journalists within multiple journalistic outlets are actually in cahoots with Hillary Clinton's campaign and are producing pro-Clinton propaganda at their behest. Now, so far, so-called journalists from seven different news outlets are working with Hillary Clinton's campaign or have worked with her campaign to produce pro-Clinton propaganda. Now, just to be clear here, this doesn't necessarily mean that the journalism outlet as a whole is tarnished. It just means that several individuals within that outlet are bad apples and do not have any integrity. So now this includes the New York Times, The Hill, Think Progress, The Today Show, CNN, ABC, and the Daily Beast. And let me just remind you that this excludes outlets like Politico, whose journalists were revealed to be in cahoots with Clinton's campaign with the last release of WikiLeaks emails in July when they released the internal DNC emails. Now, there are multiple instances of collusion between journalists and Hillary Clinton's campaign. So first of all, CNN hosted a town hall featuring Hillary Clinton and then CNN contributor, now DNC interim chair Donna Brazile, actually gave the Clinton campaign an advance notice of a question that they were going to ask. So Politico explains, Democratic National Committee Interim Chair Donna Brazile sent information to a top Clinton campaign official about an upcoming question she got in advance one day before a very similar question was asked at a CNN town hall, according to hacked emails published by WikiLeaks. On March 12th, Brazile, who at the time was DNC vice chair and a CNN and ABC contributor, wrote Clinton Communications Director Jennifer Palmieri an email that that said, quote, from time to time, I get questions in advance. Here's one that worries me about Hillary Rodham Clinton, Brazil wrote. Death penalty. 19 states and the District of Columbia have banned the death penalty. 31 states, including Ohio, still have the death penalty. According to the National Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty, since 1973, 156 people have been on death row and later set free. Since 1976, 1,414 people have been executed in the U.S. That's 11% of Americans who were sentenced to die, but later exonerated and freed. Should Ohio and the 30 other states join the current list and abolish the death penalty? Now, I'm going to show you the actual setup to the question that really was asked to Hillary Clinton during the CNN town hall, and then try to keep those statistics in mind. Since 
Since 1976, we've executed 1,414 people in this country. Since 1973, 156 who were convicted have been exonerated from the death row. This gentleman here is one of them. So I'll let you be the judge there, but know this. Donna Brazil, as well as CNN, are denying that they did this in spite of very clear similarities between what Donna Brazil sent to Clinton's campaign and the actual setup to the question that was asked to Hillary Clinton. And even if it's the case that this wasn't the exact question, you still told them that there was going to be a question about the death penalty. That's still troubling. But nonetheless, Brazil, however, is denying that she notified the Clinton campaign of a proposed question. Quote, as a longtime political activist with deep ties to our party, I supported all of our candidates for president. Yeah, right. I often shared my thoughts with each and every campaign and any suggestions that indicate otherwise are simply untrue as it pertains to the CNN debates. I never had access to questions and would never have shared them with the candidates if I did, Brazil said in a statement. And when it comes to the New York Times and how they've been colluding with Clinton's campaign, Observer explains, Another email discusses planting a favorable Clinton story in the New York Times in March of 2015. NYT heroine, should she call her today? Podesta wrote to other Clinton campaign staffers with the subject line, Laura Donahue, I do think it's a great idea. We can make it happen, replied Uma Abedin. The story they referred to is likely, in New Hampshire, Clinton backers Buckle Up, published in the New York Times on March 12, 2015, about Laura Donahue, a retired nurse and Clinton supporter in New Hampshire. John Harwood, New York Times contributor and CNBC correspondent, regularly exchanged emails with Podesta, communicating more as a Clinton surrogate than a journalist. Now, the emails reveal that Clinton's team actually pitched stories to the Daily Beast when they were trying to demonize Bernie Sanders after Hillary Clinton was taking a lot of heat for her support of the 1994 crime bill. So they were trying to make him look bad and wanted to talk about Vermont's incarceration rate to do so. So they worked with the Daily Beast for this. As one email states, this was part of the Daily Beast story that we worked around aggressively. So I think it's been pitched, but they may have other ideas of where to go with this. Now, let me just be fair here. We don't have the full context, but this does nonetheless look suspicious. And if you think that this is suspicious, you should be suspicious particularly about the Daily Beast because their parent company is IAC. Guess who sits on the board of IAC? Chelsea Clinton. So I don't know that they're necessarily taking orders from Chelsea Clinton, but we know that the Clinton's campaign has a direct link to the Daily Beast. So yes, we should be very suspicious of them. Now, the Today Show told Hillary Clinton's campaign spokesman, Brian Fallon, that they would be asking Clinton about guns before an interview, because Fallon wrote in one email, the Today Show has indicated they definitely plan to ask about guns. So very clear here. Again, we don't have the full context, but we see a news organization, a so-called news organization, telling the Clinton campaign ahead of time what they're going to be asking her about. How do you expect to hold politicians accountable and get an honest and organic answer if you're telling them ahead of time what they're going to be asking? Now, a Think Progress editor named Judd Legum was in cahoots with Clinton's campaign as well, and he sent John Podesta an email where he implied Bernie Sanders is sexist. So Legum quoted Bernie Sanders talking about Killer Mike, and Bernie Sanders said, quote, I don't go around. No one has ever heard me say, hey guys, let's stand together. Vote for a man. I would never do that, never have. And Legum's response was, needless to say, he doesn't say that because he doesn't have to. And Clinton's campaign responded with, yes, we are on it. So He's implying here that Bernie Sanders is sexist. All of Bernie Sanders' white straight male base, apparently, they're going to do that anyway. They're voting for the man regardless. So Bernie Sanders doesn't even have to say it. Very interesting. Now, Brent Wadowski, who is a columnist for The Hill, essentially asked Podesta for permission to post an article because he didn't want to cause any problems for Clinton. Quote, by the way, I may be doing an Elizabeth Warren column soon. If I write that my optimum scenario would be for Elizabeth to ultimately give a big endorsement to HRC and give the keynote speech at the convention, totally off the record, would that give you a problem? It would be my personal opinion only, but if you have a problem with my suggesting this as an idea, I won't tell anyone and I won't include it, deferring to you. And John Podesta responded with, no problem. Now, Badowski also warned Podesta about other stories that he would be publishing. So, in an email with the subject line, after you read my column in The Hill tomorrow, he states, I expect to be named the next U.S. ambassador to France. Just kidding. I don't want anything that's part of my charm, but it is good. 
Working title is Big Truths About Hillary, though still negotiating five points with editors. A very strong statement on her behalf. I have a line about her praising the Pope and about refugees and immigration that will be memorable. So funny here. He wants to be the ambassador. He's totally just kidding, guys. Actually, he's not kidding. He does want something. It's called access, and he's getting that right now. But again, I shouldn't have to reiterate why this is problematic. A free and independent media, separate from the campaigns of candidates who want to be the most powerful politician in the country, I mean, that connection shouldn't be there. This is common sense, but yet we have it going on in a so-called democracy. Again, if people called you a conspiracy theorist because you thought that Hillary Clinton had biased coverage during the primary and that she has biased coverage now, you can take off your tinfoil hat. There's evidence for this right here. And if anyone tells you otherwise or tries to suggest that you're conspiratorial, then you can tell them it's right in the emails. Check them out for themselves. So another major revelation to come to light amid the release of John Podesta's emails by WikiLeaks is the possibility that Hillary Clinton's campaign was in contact with the Department of Justice while she was being investigated by the FBI. Now, the reason why this is problematic is because the FBI would be making their recommendation to the Department of Justice and saying whether or not they think Hillary Clinton should be indicted after they conclude their investigation. So if this is true, this is huge. So in an email from May 2015, Clinton campaign spokesman Brian Fallon said that, quote, DOJ folks had informed him about an upcoming status conference in one of the lawsuits regarding Clinton's private email setup. The information about an upcoming court event would have been public knowledge and open for all to attend, and it's unclear whether the people Fallon spoke to at the Justice Department were officials who regularly communicate with the public. However, the fact that Fallon, a former spokesman with the Justice Department, remained in contact with anyone from the department is likely to renew allegations that the Obama administration maintained an especially cozy relationship with Clinton's presidential campaign. And I think that it's actually more than that because we saw that Bill Clinton met with Attorney General Loretta Lynch just days before the FBI made their announcement. Now, we all know that James Comey didn't actually recommend an indictment, but when you see all these shady things going on, you see Clinton's campaign and talks with, quote, DOJ folks. When you see Bill Clinton meeting with Loretta Lynch, you can't help but think something strange is going on. If this is true, this is corruption, guys. This is brazen corruption. Because if it's the case that a public official is in contact or her campaign is in contact with people who are supposed to be a check on her corruption and authority, then we have no accountability. We don't live in a democracy anymore. And this goes beyond Hillary Clinton because I'm someone who maintained that George W. Bush and Dick Cheney should be rotting in the Hague right now because of the war crimes that they committed, because of the torture that they brought back. And so I'm objective. I think anyone who breaks the law, no matter how powerful they are or what position they held, they should be indicted, potentially be charged, and go to jail if they're found guilty. But if we have both parties in cahoots with each other, if we have the government agency that's supposed to hold corrupt public officials accountable in cahoots with them, what the hell are we supposed to do? This implies that government officials can do almost anything and get away with it. And look, we had a Freudian slip from James Comey when he said, look, I, I don't want to make people think that by not recommending an indictment of Hillary Clinton that we don't typically punish people because when people do similar things, yes, we do in fact punish them. To be clear, this is not to suggest that in similar circumstances, a person who engaged in this activity would face no consequences. To the contrary, those individuals are often subject to security or administrative sanctions, but that's not what we're deciding now. The evidence was there, and I followed this case very closely. So I was very shocked when James Comey didn't announce that he would be recommending an indictment to the Justice Department. And that little talk that you saw between Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch was strange because afterwards she conceded and said, look, I'll just do whatever the FBI wants. I'll kind of remove myself from this. But she wouldn't do that unless she knew Hillary Clinton's ass would be covered. So this whole thing just shows that we live in a banana republic. You can't expect to have a democracy if corrupt officials aren't going to be held accountable because that doesn't make them elected officials. That makes them dictators because they could do anything they want. If Hillary Clinton can set up a private email server 
and expose classified information and not go to jail, what else can she do? We are losing our democracy, and this is evidence of it. So everyone should be terrified about this, but the problem is that we have so-called liberals who are complicit in this, and they are just, you know, team blue no matter what. So anything that Hillary Clinton does is good. Anything that Donald Trump does is bad. There's no nuance to the world. It's all black and white. Well, look, we have to be objective, and we have to call this out when we see it. If the Democrats do something that's seemingly corrupt, we have to call it out. They have to answer for this corruption. And unfortunately, progressives aren't a big enough voting demographic to do it and have an impact. We need everyone to come together and take a stand against corruption, but everyone's on their own team and they don't give a damn about it. So unfortunately, nothing is going to get done. And meanwhile, we're going to slide further and further towards an authoritarian regime. It's just sad. So, with the release of John Podesta's emails by WikiLeaks, there's been several bombshells that have come to light. So, for example, we saw collusion between Clinton's campaign and various journalists. We see collusion between Clinton's campaign and the Department of Justice during her FBI investigation. So, you would think that this would be a huge story that is plastered all over the news, right? Not exactly. So if you look at the mainstream media and their coverage, here's an example of what they're talking about. Donald Trump loves a beauty pageant. And by his own admission, he was no stranger backstage while owning parts of three different pageants for nearly two decades. So that's just one small example of their wall-to-wall -wall coverage of Donald Trump. Now here's what they're saying about the WikiLeaks scandal. All right, look, I'm being a little bit unfair because they have mentioned it, but their coverage is very bad. What they're saying is that, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Everything's copacetic. You know, there, there's really nothing that is huge that came out of this. So here's an example from CNN. It's a drip, drip, drip of distraction with campaign chair John Podesta's hacked emails now being released on a daily schedule by Julian Assange trying to meddle with the U.S. election. No bombshells, but a revealing look at Clinton's strategy. See, there's no bombshells, according to CNN, because they're directly implicated in it. One of their journalists, Donna Brazil, who shouldn't even be a journalist if you work within the DNC, well, she's implicated in feeding Hillary Clinton questions before a town hall. So, of course, you want to downplay this because you are directly guilty. So, you've been discovered. You've been caught with your pants down. CNN. So, of course, you don't think there's any bombshells. Now, honestly, what's crazy is that as egregious as that coverage is, there's even worse headlines about this scandal. So, for example, one Vox headline reads, WikiLeaks reveals John Podesta's secret for making creamy risotto. So, they're literally mocking the release of John Podesta's emails, showing, you know, there's nothing to be said here. Anyone who's making a big fuss about it, you know, they're just irrational. This is the kind of shit that you're going to see in the emails. You're not going to find evidence that her campaign is colluding with the Department of Justice, which would be brazen corruption. You're not going to find media collusion. You're just going to find recipes about risotto. That's the tone that Vox is using to not cover, I'm not even going to call it coverage, to mock the release of John Podesta's emails. Now, that's one way to spin it, but the Washington Post, here's how they're spinning it. Scandal, WikiLeaks reveals Hillary Clinton to be, gasp, reasonable. And it reads, with a level of self-awareness unimaginable in her opponent, Miss Clinton described herself in one speech as kind of far removed from the ordinary American struggles because of her newfound wealth and suggested she was making a conscious effort to compensate for that. In other talks, she said she really admires even ideological opponents willing to run for office amid the toxicity of modern politics. She noted correctly that the optimal situation for the United States is two sensible, moderate, pragmatic parties. She also favored the bipartisan Simpson-Bowles framework for deficit reduction in which entitlement reform would be traded for progressive tax increases. They're talking about cutting Social Security there just to forewarn you what they're doing. And she offered an astute, historically informed discussion of the challenges of extending health care coverage at an affordable cost. This whole episode illustrates that point. Miss Clinton kept the speeches under wraps out of fear that they would be distorted for political purposes by her populist foes. Alas, that fear was amply justified in this populistic, polarized environment as the manufactured uproar over their release proves the fact that Miss Clinton's eminently reasonable and open-minded words regarding the issues and her opponents are being treated as scandalous is the real scandal. Now, this is the editorial board of the Washington Post. They signed off on this. 
and published it. They're saying that there's no scandals here. The fact that she takes public and private positions and lies and deceives the American public when she's supposed to be representing them, because let me remind everyone, this is a democratic republic, there's no scandal there. The fact that she's out of touch but claims to be fighting for us, that's literally her campaign headline, fighting for us, when she knows she's out of touch, isn't that a little bit deceitful? Don't you think that's at least somewhat disingenuous? And with all the other revelations that have come out that expose corruption with the Clinton Foundation and her campaign and the Department of Justice, you think that she's reasonable after all that? See, the only way that you could spin it this way is if you're entirely biased and you have an agenda. You have an agenda right here, and it's very clear. So the takeaway is that if you're really looking to find out about WikiLeaks and what's in John Podesta's emails, don't tune in to CNN. Don't tune in to MSNBC. You can tune in to Fox News, but you can't really trust them either because even if they may cover this, well, they're the propaganda wing of the Republican Party. So they might try to delegitimize WikiLeaks by trying to find something out of nothing. See, when independent media outlets like myself and TYT Politics and Let the Madness Begin, when we comb through these emails, we're going through it with a fine-tooth comb. And when we find something that looks suspicious, we read it multiple times. We go through it. We make sure that we're not trying to make something out of nothing because when you do that, you delegitimize yourself. So you really have to be careful about Fox News' coverage. But nonetheless, they're at least mentioning it. So this is a really huge scandal. Okay, but all these media outlets, they're trying to spin it and make it seem as though, well, you know, people are just making something out of nothing. No, if it was nothing, then we wouldn't make anything out of it. WikiLeaks also released voicemails sent to the DNC and nobody made anything out of it because there wasn't actually anything in there. So we don't cover everything. We cover something that's legitimate. And this is certainly legitimate. And the fact that you are refusing to cover it and even mock it shows that you're illegitimate. You are not worried about objective journalism. You're in the tank for Hillary Clinton and you don't want to do anything to harm Hillary Clinton's campaign. All you want to do is talk about Donald Trump. Well, that's fine. Cover Donald Trump. There's a lot of scandals there but also cover Hillary Clinton's scandals as well. Be objective. So this is incredibly troubling. I mean, we have a media that is complicit in Hillary Clinton's corruption, and now they're mocking people for wanting to dig through John Podesta's emails that were released by WikiLeaks that do, in fact, have bombshell revelations. So let me just remind you that during the primary, they said that we had our tinfoil hats on and we were conspiratorial when we claimed that the DNC was biased against Bernie Sanders, and then the initial batch of DNC emails revealed that we were correct. So if they're saying we're crazy again, actually really think, who's the crazy one? Because we were right before, so why aren't we right again? We see the evidence with our very own eyes. So do you. But you're biased. You don't care about the truth. You don't care about objective reality. You just care about helping Hillary Clinton, and you're not willing to jeopardize her getting elected. So you're willing to sacrifice journalism for her electoral prospects. That's not true journalism. So in spite of the good charitable work that the Clinton Foundation actually does time and again, well, it is the case that it is a very corrupt foundation because they engage in pay-to-play deals. When Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State, donors to the Clinton Foundation asked her for favors, and we know on various occasions she actually delivered. So with the release of John Podesta's emails by WikiLeaks, we have more evidence of a quid pro quo going on. So Zero Hedge explains, Ira Magaziner, who is vice chairman and CEO of the Clinton Health Access Initiative, sent an email to John Podesta and Amitab Desai, director of foreign policy at the Clinton Foundation, in which he said that Chai, the Clinton Health Access Initiative, would like to request that President Clinton call Sheikh Mohammed to thank him for offering his plane to the conference in Ethiopia and expressing regrets that President Clinton's schedule does not permit him to attend the conference. Now, just to reiterate here, this individual is a major donor to the Clinton Health Access Initiative, and they emailed people within Clinton's campaign and at the Clinton Foundation and asked for this favor. They wanted Bill Clinton to do this. And here's what Amitab Desai of the Clinton Foundation said in response. Unless Sheikh Mohammed has sent us a six million check, this sounds crazy to do. Now, Clinton's former chief advisor, Doug Ban, chimed in and said, if he doesn't do it, Chai will say he didn't give the money because of WJC. And Podesta agreed, saying, I agree with Doug, and this seems rather easy and harmless and not a big time sink. So if you're taken aback by the fact that the director of foreign policy at the Clinton Foundation would instinctively reply by saying, you want a favor? 
Where's the money? Well, then you should be, because there's two very big implications about this. Well, one, it might be how the Clinton Foundation usually does business, and two, if they're asking for money in exchange for favors here, they probably did this before, and evidence indicates that this is, in fact, the case. Now, these emails also show that Chelsea Clinton, to my surprise, was concerned about the perception of corruption between the Clinton Foundation and their donors and the Clinton Foundation and the State Department, and that she actually voiced her concerns about it to people within uh, Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton's camp. So Politico explains, Chelsea Clinton flagged serious concerns about her father's closest aides trying to cash in by using the former president's name to gain access to government officials on behalf of paying clients, according to emails released this week. Teneo, in particular, did lucrative work for foundation donors and entities with business before Clinton State Department, and it signed a contract reportedly worth $3.5 million with Bill Clinton to serve as an advisor, though the former president ultimately kept only 100000 of that according to his tax returns and a source familiar with the arrangement. Teneo also paid Uma Abedin, Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman at the State Department, as a senior advisor. One of the pair of Clintonites who founded Teneo, Declan Kelly, was working for Clinton State Department while laying the groundwork for the firm, as revealed by Politico. Politico also exposed that the other Teneo founder, longtime Bill Clinton aide Doug Band, was drawing salaries from both the Clinton Foundation and the former president's taxpayer-subsidized personal office, while another early Teneo official, Justin Cooper, was being paid by the Clinton's taxpayer-funded office, even as he was performing maintenance on Hillary. Hillary Clinton's controversial private email server. In December 2011, Chelsea Clinton sent a sharply worded email to top family confidants saying that people in London had raised serious concerns about the way Teneo was using her father's name to set up meetings for clients, according to private emails released by WikiLeaks. I will raise all of this and more with my father this evening, she wrote. Wanted to update you all in the meanwhile about my augmented concerns post-London. At the time, Chelsea Clinton had already been pushing to enact tougher rules at the foundation regarding conflicts of interest and outside income. In response, Band blasted her behind her back as an irrational ingrate who runs to daddy to change a decision or interject herself in the process. In the emails released by WikiLeaks on Monday and Tuesday, Band dismissed Clinton as an entitled and power-hungry young woman who wreaked havoc at the Clinton Foundation and who created a stressful environment environment that contributed to one person's contemplating suicide simply because she was bored and protective of her relationship with her father. She's acting like a spoiled brat kid who has nothing else to do but create issues to justify what she's doing because she, as she has said, hasn't found her way and has a lack of focus in her life. Ban wrote in a November 2011 email to longtime Clinton family advisor John Podesta. Now, John Podesta indicated that Doug Ban should not try to get into a fight with Chelsea Clinton. Now, after reading all that, my only response is, wow. So, we have several things going on here. They're really angry about the fact that Chelsea Clinton has the audacity to bring up the perception of corruption that's very evident to people who are just normal, everyday citizens that see, hey, maybe this organization, the Clinton Foundation, is setting up a humongous conflict of interest between the Clinton State Department and the Clinton Foundation. Maybe, just maybe, we should look into this. So, how dare she do that? But also... This has a lot to say about Chelsea Clinton, because apparently she ran the organization or helped run the organization in a manner that was so bad that it created an environment where someone actually contemplated suicide. Jesus. I don't know whose side to take here, because I think that they're both making points that have at least some kernels of truth. I know that Chelsea Clinton, she's on the right side here by suggesting that this is a direct conflict of interest and that, you know, it looks really bad. It's not a good look because she knows her mom is going to run for president and all these deals and the connection between the Clinton Foundation and these private companies is clearly setting up a conflict of interest. So she's right to point that out. But the fact that Doug Band painted her to John Podesta as an ingrate, as a spoiled brat, is that truthful? I don't know, because I think that he probably has the sense that anything that Chelsea Clinton does that is obnoxious to him, he's going to paint her as the spoiled brat. So what we can take away from this is that if you try to call out corruption, people from within Clinton's campaign, longtime friends, longtime allies, are going to not only just downplay it, they're actually going to lash out at you, even if you're related to the Clintons, and say, hey, you don't like corruption? Shut up. That's basically what they're saying. 
So this is really startling because these people are still surrounding the Clintons. I mean, they still have their ears. So it's very troubling that people this complicit in corruption would be this angry when someone tries to point it out. So according to John Podesta's emails released by WikiLeaks, it's very clear that the attorneys to Hillary Clinton's campaign are trying to teach her staffers how to exploit the loopholes for our campaign finance laws so that way they would be able to coordinate with Hillary Clinton's various super PACs. Now we know that out of Hillary Clinton's seven known super PACs that she actually does coordinate directly with Correct the Record and David Brock because they have the same talking points. And I've talked about this before. There's direct evidence that they are coordinating. Now, the next one that she's coordinating with, according to WikiLeaks, seems to be Priorities USA. So according to The Hill, while Clinton has claimed her campaign has nothing to do with the super PAC Priorities USA, a leaked email from the personal account of Clinton's campaign chairman, John Podesta, suggests differently. In the email, Clinton attorney Mark Elias outlined what is basically a strategy for steering large campaign donors to the super PAC without breaking the law. Elias told Clinton campaign officials it would be okay to tell staff at the super PAC, Donor A works in financial services and has been a longtime contributor. I think she'd be willing to do six figures for priorities. But not recommended, writes Elias, would be for the Clinton campaign official to say to a super PAC official, I want you to call donor A and ask for $250,000. Super PACs are independent groups that could spend as much as they wish to boost the candidate so long as staffers at the outside group don't coordinate strategy or messaging with the campaign. This is something that isn't surprising. I don't think there should be any communication between a campaign and a super PAC because that just sets up this ability for them to exploit this loophole and actually coordinate in, you know, indirect ways. So it's frustrating because if you have candidates and their campaigns actually coordinating what they want in indirect ways to super PACs, that allows them to effectively raise unlimited funds through their super PACs, and then it makes what little campaign finance laws we have meaningless. So this is frustrating because Hillary Clinton claims that she's against Citizens United. She claims that she's against dark money in politics, but how can we expect her to do anything about it and actually give a damn if she's benefiting from it? If the little campaign finance laws that we have that don't do anything now are helping her get into office, why would we expect her to actually fight for it like she's saying. I mean, she stated that she's going to announce a constitutional amendment within the first 100 days, but we know that that's going to be it. It's not going to pass and we're never going to hear about it again. And anytime progressives try to push her on this, she'll say, look, I introduced a constitutional amendment. Call on Congress to ratify it. It's out of my hands now. I, I did what I can do. My hands are clean. So it's really, really frustrating because this isn't something that's just Hillary Clinton. We see it all the time. We see Jeb Bush. We see Republicans do it. We see other Democrats do it. If you have a campaign, you should not be allowed to even speak to a super PAC because then you set up this ability for them to coordinate because they can set up a code like we see here. You could say, hmm, this donor, I wonder if they would be willing to donate to Hillary Clinton's campaign. Hmm. So you set up this connection between super PACs if you don't have strong laws so the fact that Hillary Clinton's campaign is actually being trained to violate these laws that prevent campaigns from coordinating with super PACs, it just proves that she likes big money in politics because it's helping her get elected. Tulsi Gabbard is a representative from Hawaii that is perhaps the only person at the DNC that abided by their own charter because when she decided that she wanted to support Bernie Sanders, rather than covertly trying to sabotage Hillary Clinton's campaign, she did the right thing, she followed their rules, and she stepped down and endorsed Bernie Sanders. As a vice chair of the DNC, I'm required to stay neutral in Democratic primaries, but I cannot remain neutral any longer. The stakes are just too high. That's why today I'm endorsing Senator Bernie Sanders to be our next president and commander in chief of the United States. We need a commander in chief who has foresight, who exercises good judgment, and who understands the need for a robust foreign policy, which defends the safety and security of the American people and who will not waste precious lives and money on interventionist wars of regime change. 
Now, she knew that there would be a lot of political fallout because she saw the tactics firsthand. I mean, she saw how when she spoke out about the limited debate schedule, she was disinvited to one of the Democratic debates by Debbie Wasserman Schultz. As you know, I've been pretty vocal about calling out for more debates. I've been calling for uh, more debates to give the American people the opportunity to hear from these presidential candidates, to listen to what they've got to say, to hold them accountable for their views and their, their positions. Uh, because that differentiated from the decision that the chairwoman made from the DNC, uh, I was told that I was no longer welcome to come to the debate. So she knew what was going on, and she decided to drop out and endorse Bernie Sanders anyway, even though she saw the power that was exercised by the DNC for Hillary Clinton. Now, there was political fallout for this, so I think she is brave for doing this, and some of that was revealed in John Podesta's emails by WikiLeaks. So in an email to Tulsi from Darnell Strom, who was the former director of the Clinton Foundation, and Michael Kives, who was a bundler to Clinton and associate of Strom, wrote this letter to Tulsi. Representative Gabbard, we were very disappointed to hear that you would resign your position with the DNC so you could endorse Bernie Sanders, a man who has never been a Democrat before. When we met over dinner a couple of years ago, I was so impressed by your intellect, your passion, and commitment to getting things done on behalf of the American people. For you to endorse a man who has spent almost 40 years in public office with very few accomplishments doesn't fall in line with what we previously thought of you. Hillary Clinton will be our party's nominee, and you standing on ceremony to support the sinking Bernie Sanders ship is disrespectful to Hillary Clinton, a woman who has spent the vast majority of her life in public service and working on behalf of women, families, and the underserved. You have called both myself and Michael Kives before about helping your campaign raise money. We no longer trust your judgment, so we'll not be raising money for your campaign. Hammer dropped. So do you understand what they're trying to do here? They're saying, look, remember that time when you asked us for money? No more. You're cut off because you decided to back the wrong candidate. You didn't support the establishment's choice in this election cycle. You supported Bernie Sanders. I mean, he's not even a Democrat. So <laughs> it doesn't matter to them if Bernie Sanders was going to be more representative of the Democratic base. Well, he doesn't have the correct party affiliation, so screw him. He's the wrong choice. It's just so frustrating because you see the weight of the establishment here coming down on Tulsi, and this probably wasn't all the blowback that she received. I'm sure that other people emailed her. I'm sure she was cut off from a lot of circles. I'm sure that any chances that she wanted of maybe running for uh, governor or maybe running for president one day might be dashed in the eyes of these Democratic bundlers and Democratic donors and people who worked for the Clinton Foundation. But let me just say this, Tulsi, if you decide to run for governor, if you decide to run for president one day, guess what? We've got your back because just how Bernie Sanders was able to launch a historic campaign and outraise President Obama and break his record, we're going to do that for you too because we're not going to allow the establishment to get its way forever. So Tulsi, don't let this discourage you because the American people have your back. You did the right thing. You endorsed Bernie Sanders because you were against the war hawkish, war criminal policies of Hillary Clinton who admits that her Syrian policies are going to kill Syrian civilians. That's what you call a war criminal. So you did the right thing. You made the right choice. Your hands are clean. It's these idiots who think they can get away with bullying people who don't fall in line that are going to pay because their house of cards is going to come collapsing on them when they find out that the American people doesn't support them anymore. So we're with you, Tulsi. Don't let this bullshit get to you. So it's the case that Democratic Party loyalists are often perplexed because Bernie or Bus voters and Jill Stein supporters won't fall in line and support the Democratic nominee, Hillary Clinton. And they're really shocked by this because we won, right? I mean, we got the Democratic platform. Even though we were cheated out of the candidate that we liked, we, we won because we got the platform. So they can't understand that if we won, we got the policy concessions that we were looking for, which we claim is the most important reason why we vote for someone, then why wouldn't we support Hillary Clinton? Well, my response has always been, it's simple, because those policy concessions are phony. Had Hillary Clinton adopted the idea of making public colleges and universities tuition-free at the start of her campaign and didn't just adopt that stance as a means of getting Bernie Sanders to drop out and endorse her, I would think she actually 
cared about that policy. I would think she would be willing to fight for that policy. But the fact that she only adopted it to get Bernie Sanders to go away shows us that she doesn't really care about that policy. Now, one of the major concessions that we won was superdelegates. I mean, the Democratic Party reformed the superdelegate system just for us. So, I mean, we won. So why can't we just shut up and fall in line already? Well, what we've been saying is proven to be true due to the release of John Podesta's emails by WikiLeaks. So we know that the Democratic Party establishment was just paying us lip service without actually giving up much. So one email states, I've lived through many national conventions and have found that it's critical that all delegates, especially those representing losing candidates, emerge from the convention feeling that they have won something, achieved something tangible. I think this is terribly important, especially with people like Bernie's sometimes self-righteous ideologues. We want them to go home happy and enthusiastic and working their asses off for Hillary Clinton. Oh, I'm sure we'll do that. Why not throw Bernie a bone and reduce the superdelegates in the future to the original draft of the members of the House and Senate, governors and big city mayors, eliminating the DNC members who are not state chairs or vice chairs. Frankly, DNC members don't really represent constituencies anyway. I should know, I served on the DNC first as executive director and then as elected member for 10 years. Very telling. So if we, quote, give Bernie this in the convention rules committee, his people will think they've, quote, won something from the party establishment, and it functionally doesn't make any difference anyway. They win, we don't lose, everyone's happy. So we have two really telling admissions here. One, uh, they try to make us think that we, quote, won. And two, the DNC is not representative of the Democratic Party's constituencies. You don't say, hmm, these are only the things that we've been saying since the beginning of the goddamn primaries. The DNC was not representative of voters, no matter how many times we called them and tried to put pressure on Debbie Wasserman Schultz to step down, to have more debates. They wouldn't budge because they don't want to do anything that would jeopardize Hillary Clinton's chances of winning the nomination. And so when they say that they make us think that we won... No, you didn't make us think anything, okay? We know that you guys are phonies and that you're just paying lip service to us to get us to fall in line. But guess what? The jig is up. We know what you're doing. It's just all bullshit. It's a ploy to get us to fall in line and support Hillary Clinton. Well, guess what? It's not happening. So anyone who was Bernie or bust, they're not changing their mind because of your phony concessions. They're going to vote for Jill Stein. Now, contrary to popular belief... Yes, we are actually going to check off Jill Stein's box because what was Hillary Clinton saying? She implied that we have no choice but to fall in line and support her because she's winning. I am winning. I am winning. And she also always likes to bring up the argument that, well, you know what? When I endorsed Barack Obama in 2008, I told my supporters that they should vote for him and they did that. So I think that when Bernie endorses me inevitably, I think they're going to fall in line too. It's not happening, Hillary, hence the reason why you are bleeding support among millennial voters and why one-third of us are opting for Jill Stein or Gary Johnson. It's because we know you don't represent us, okay? You're trying to be the liberal, the so-called liberal party's nominee when you're a conservative, and we see right through the bullshit. It's crystal clear, and anything that the party establishment does to try to convince us to fall in line is not going to work. You messed up. You just messed up and it's too late for you to win us over. It's still telling that they would actually admit to something like this, but it's not surprising. Anyone who's been paying attention, who's been observant, knows that these concessions that they gave us were phony because they're not really giving up shit, okay? They can tell us one thing. They can say they're going to fight for uh, tuition-free colleges, for example, or a $15 minimum wage, and we know that when they get in office, they're going to concede because the Democrats are Spineless. They can't even support a public option. I mean, Bernie Sanders had to light the fire under their ass to get some of them to just fight for a public option, which is this just common sense. And many of them still don't want to do it because they're bankrolled by the health insurance industry. So this party, the whole thing is rotten to the core. We just got to kick all these people out and start a new party. Both parties suck. Democrats suck. They're the one party that had potential. But these WikiLeaks releases are showing that The party is just as rotten, as sold out to corporate interests as Republicans.
So I've mentioned before about how Hillary Clinton and her campaign and campaign surrogates tried to smear Bernie Sanders as a sexist and implied that he's racially insensitive. And basically, they just tried to use identity politics against Bernie Sanders to advance Hillary Clinton's political career. Now, thanks to WikiLeaks, we actually have some insight as to what they were thinking when they were doing this. So Hillary Clinton's campaign was really upset that Bernie Sanders had more individual donations than Hillary Clinton. So we all remember when she proudly proclaimed at that one debate that she has more female donors. That was her way of kind of spinning it to make her look better than Bernie Sanders. And I'm very proud that for the first time, a majority of my donors are women. But they couldn't do that because they realized that Bernie Sanders actually has more female donors than her. So in one email, they state, my concern is that he says he has more women donating than Hillary Rodham Clinton. What's our answer to that? Bernie has more donors than we do by number period, correct? Do we know what percentage of his donors are women? Is it anywhere close to our 60% stat? 44% of Sanders donors were women. The remarks are strong without this, and we open the door to lose on two fronts. He has more donors, and he has more women donors. So this is interesting to me. They tried to make it look as though the enthusiasm is actually behind Hillary Clinton, when in fact it was not. It was behind Bernie Sanders. And they try to make him look sexist or imply that he just has all of these straight white male Bernie bros donating to him when in actuality, no, he had more female donors. So I love that they tried to spin this, but they couldn't. Now, they also tried to find ways to imply that Bernie Sanders didn't really care about mass incarceration and talked about how many African Americans were in jail in the state of Vermont as a way to divert criticism away from Hillary Clinton for her support of the 1994 crime bill and move that criticism on to Bernie Sanders. So they state, don't think he's answered for it and don't think he ever sought to do anything about it. Tony, can we confirm he didn't push any criminal justice reform in Vermont? If he hasn't taken leadership, we can ask Zerlina to push around to our Twitter friends, i.e. probably trolls. Podesta states, this is good stuff for paranoid internet dwellers. Did Bernie ever say a word about this? And then they responded, maybe there's a point about how he was for nearly a decade silent on a growing problem covered repeatedly by his own state's press. Not even a statement, if that's true. Was he not paying attention to his own press clips, and now he wants to address it? I know he obviously wasn't the governor, but still. So you see there, they're trying to create a narrative, even if they aren't sure about the facts. So they're thinking, hmm, did he respond to this? Because if he hasn't said anything about this, then we can nail him for it. So, I mean, it's just really shady things, because the implication here is that, well, you know, he criticizes Hillary Clinton for her support of the 1994 crime bill, but... Vermont has such a high rate of African-Americans incarcerated, so why hasn't Bernie Sanders done anything about this? Now, we know that there are racial implications because the Clinton campaign, as well as her surrogates, have tried to imply that Bernie Sanders doesn't care about African-Americans because in that one ad that he posted that went viral, that everybody loved, well, David Brock stated, there's no black people in this ad, there's no diversity, there's no people of color. What's going on, Bernie? You can't just cater to white people. So, I mean, we know that this is their go-to tactic. Now, they also tried to spin Bernie's millennial support base as being white only. You're fucking a white male! You're a white man! One email states, Emmy and the team have a good plan to attract all minority voters. When we do well there, then the narrative changes from Bernie kicks ass among young voters to Bernie does well only among young white liberals. That is a different story and a perfect lead into South Carolina, where once again, we can work to attract young voters of color. So I think Nevada is a real opportunity, and I would strongly urge HRC to get out there within a couple of days of New Hampshire. Now, that narrative, as you'll all remember, actually did permeate throughout political discourse for a while. The whole uh, Bernie Sanders only gets white liberal voter support thing. I mean, all media outlets were picking it up. For example, New Republic said, Bernie's revolution is too white to win. Salon said, why Bernie's on shaky ground? White men are leading him to victory as he remains a tough sell with other voters. Sanders' surprising victory in Michigan still sticks to the same pattern. He's winning white men as others stay away. Daily Beast, I mean, probably the most egregious and condescending headline, the white entitlement of some Sanders supporters. If you're young, white, and privileged, you don't expect to lose. And when you do, it must be because you got cheated. Blacks know better.
Now, let me remind everyone that this article was published about a month and a half before the WikiLeaks release of DNC emails that showed we were, in fact, cheated. Now, this isn't just some people within Hillary Clinton's campaign that are trying to use identity politics to the detriment of Bernie Sanders. This is a tactic that Clinton herself used. I've been told to stop, and I quote, shouting about gun violence. Well, first of all, I'm not shouting. <laughs> it's just when women talk, some people think we're shouting. It's time to stand up and pass comprehensive gun safety legislation Sen as a nation. Senator Sanders, I want you to be able to respond. Yeah, 30 seconds. I think the governor gave a very good example about the weaknesses in that law, and I think we have to take another look at it. But here is the point, Governor. We can raise our voices, but I come from a rural state, and the views on gun control in rural states are different than in urban states, whether we like it or not. If you think that we can simply go forward and pass something tomorrow without bringing people together, you are surely let me bring mistaken. In somebody there are some who say that this is an urban problem. Sometimes what they mean by that is it's a black problem. But it's not. So, I mean, there you have it. That's how Hillary Clinton's campaign tried to use identity politics against Bernie Sanders. He is a straight white male. And so they thought that they could use that to their advantage. And unfortunately, it's an argument that resonated with a lot of people in the Democratic voting base because, you know, we don't want the same status quo, right? I mean, what's more establishment than another straight white male? We want Hillary Clinton, who's a woman who really actually cares about people of color and poor people and gay people, right? Is that why she was on the wrong side of marriage equality or is an economic elite herself? Look, it's, it's just so ridiculous. And this is why we have to gravitate away from identity politics and really look at the substance of these candidates' arguments because they're going to use this as a tactic to manipulate you. But don't fall for it. Look at what their policies actually represent. So there's a lot that's come out of the WikiLeaks release of John Podesta's emails. And if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, if you're a Bernie or Bust voter, if you're a Jill Stein supporter, you should feel validated because any and everything you said about Hillary Clinton was proven in the release of these emails. Now, one of the biggest claims many people make, not just us, about Hillary Clinton is that she's a phony. I mean, she is a poll-driven, focus group-minded politician because all she does is... She takes positions for purposes of political expediency, and that's it. So you're never going to hear what Hillary Clinton really thinks about a particular issue. It's going to be tested by focus groups, and if it goes well, then uh, she'll support it. But other than that, we're never going to hear her say something that's organic or have a natural thought that materialized in her own head. It's always going to be something that was scripted or written by her campaign. And this is proven multiple times in these emails. So for example, emails reveal how they came up with a fake story at the launch of her campaign. One email reads, I'm working on a Hillary Clinton profile that's going to run after she formally announces her candidacy. I'm trying to delve into how she went about making this decision. The sense that I get in talking to people is that it was a long process and something she really went back and forth on in contrast to what people might think about this being an inevitable campaign. But I'm in need of some more details to back that up. Without that, I fear this is just going to look like a campaign spin job and no one is going to actually believe it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it was an inevitable campaign. She ran in 2008. Everyone thought she was going to win and was inevitable, and we all knew she was going to run. You're honestly telling me that you believe we would buy into this bullshit that she had to think about whether or not she would run? I mean, why'd she drop out after Obama's second term and then do a book tour? I mean, that's what you do if you're going to run for president. So this is just... It's bad. It's so bad. Now, another email shows how they tried to attack Bernie Sanders on Wall Street, but they couldn't. And uh, it shed light on their true feelings about Bernie Sanders' plan. They said, we don't need to prove he's bad on Wall Street. That's not really credible. We need to prove we're okay. Most of all, we don't want this fight. And the reply was that, why is it not credible that he has really dumb plans for Wall Street? Interesting. So Clinton's campaign people thinks that Bernie Sanders plans to break up the big banks, reinstate Glass-Steagall, and actually jail crooks that break the law is dumb. Interesting. Now, they also admit that Hillary Clinton is very similar to Jeb Bush when discussing his speech transcripts. It's a scary new wrapping paper for Trickle Down, very much in sync with what we're hearing in groups. And the reply was that very little in this speech that Hillary Rodham Clinton wouldn't say. So they're talking about 
how Jeb Bush is repackaging this turd of trickle-down economics and is trying to resell it to the American people after it's been debunked time and again. And they're saying, well, Hillary Clinton, she agrees with a lot of that. There's not much that she wouldn't say here, too. Now, I, I've called Hillary Clinton out during debates when she implied her support for trickle-down econo economics. She also said at a campaign rally that she would, quote, give incentives to companies that treat their workers correctly. Guess what that's called? That's called tax breaks, i.e. trickle-down economics. Doesn't work, and of course Hillary Clinton supports it. They were also getting pissed at Move On after they endorsed Bernie Sanders and wanted to rein them in somehow. So uh, one email said, This is more than a little annoying. Making noise is one thing. Spending seven figures is another. She voted for the war. You punish her already. Get over it. I don't know who funds them, but don't we have Hollywood friends with ties to move on who can tell them to cool it? Don't we have someone who can control this private organization who decided to endorse Bernie Sanders overwhelmingly? I believe it was, what, like 80% of their members voted to endorse Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton? And I like how they're just so cavalier in discussing her vote for the Iraq war. Look, you punished her for it. Get over it. No, I'm not going to get over it because the families of victims that were killed during the Iraqi civil war that we helped catalyze, their families are still mourning that loss. So I'm not going to get over it. This is unforgivable. I'm never going to support a candidate who votes for the Iraq war unless they really show to me that they made a mistake. But Hillary Clinton proves that she didn't learn from her mistakes. She's still interventionist. She wants to create a Syrian no-fly zone that requires boots on the ground. What she wants to do is respond to cyber attacks from Russia and China militarily. She hasn't learned her lesson, so no, I'm not going to get over it. Sorry. Now, also, oddly enough, after sharing a story about the coin flips after Iowa, because we all know Hillary Clinton won every single coin flip, which is statistically very improbable, well, her campaign manager, Robbie Mook, expressed excitement at the fact that Nevada also has coin tosses. He said, haha, yes, the exciting news. They have coin flips in Nevada too. And that warranted not one, but two exclamation points. So let me ask you this. Why are you excited about the coin flips? Because we all heard that Hillary Clinton won every single coin flip, even though there's videos showing that Bernie Sanders won some coin flips that people at the caucus actually recorded. So are, are you saying that you can rig that somehow? I mean, what's going on here? What's the implication? Because we don't have the full context, but this is very fishy. Because we know it was really suspicious that Hillary Clinton was able to win every single coin flip. Again, it's not statistically impossible, it's just very improbable, but she pulled it off somehow. So, did she win legitimately? What's the implication here? I don't know, but it's very suspicious. Now, they also tried to write platitudes for her to say after she won, showing just how fake and scripted she really is. Uh, one of them that they suggested was, To all my supporters out there, they doubted us, but we never doubted each other. This one's for you. And apparently they liked that one and replied with, well, that's good too. Now they also question, what is wrong with the people of New Hampshire since they voted overwhelmingly in favor of Bernie Sanders? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with them. Nothing. They were actually rational and supported a candidate that was looking out for their best interests. They also called CNN's Jake Tapper a dick. And in one email that's very, very troubling. We found out that Saudi Arabia and Qatar are funding ISIS. So the email reads, while this military slash paramilitary operation is moving forward, we need to use our diplomatic and more traditional intelligence assets to bring pressure on the governments of Qatar and Saudi Arabia, which are providing clandestine financial and logistic support to ISIL and other radical Sunni groups in the region. Now, what's crazy is that another email shows that Qatar gave Bill Clinton $1 million for a five-minute meeting. If they're funding terrorist organizations, extremist Sunni groups in the region, why wouldn't you just cut all ties with them? Why are we still funding Saudi Arabia? Because our money is literally going to ISIS. Then if we give money to Saudi Arabia and they give money to ISIS, then our tax dollars are funding ISIS. And then we're spending more tax dollars to go and fight ISIS. It's just ridiculous. It's unbelievable. And look, let's not just focus on ISIS here. We know that Saudi Arabia is killing many civilians in Yemen right now. So much came out of this, and so little of it is being discussed in the mainstream media that it's honestly just, it's troubling. It's very troubling to me. It's disgusting, honestly, because they're going to try to mock this and say, oh, you know, there's nothing in here. You know, Bernie Sanders supporters and Republicans, they're two peas in a pod. They're just trying to go after Hillary Clinton for political purposes. Look, I don't like Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump. I'm voting for Jill Stein. So to 
say that we're doing this for political reasons is really just, it's grotesque, right? Because they're supporting Hillary Clinton and they're not covering this for political reasons, but yet they're blaming us uh, for attacking Hillary Clinton with these WikiLeaks releases for political reasons. No, it's called being objective. It's called holding people's feet to the fire. Well, that's all I got for you guys pertaining to the WikiLeaks emails that were released from John Podesta. I, if I see anything that's really pressing, I will do an additional video to cover it. Uh, but for those of you who didn't want to hear about the WikiLeaks, I apologize that this uh, this episode was so focused on it, but I really felt obligated to cover it since the mainstream media wasn't covering it. And I just feel like people need to know the truth regardless if it hurts or helps Hillary Clinton. I mean, facts are facts and it doesn't matter the uh, you know what's going to happen what what the aftermath will be what happens is that the truth gets out there and i just kind of felt compelled to cover it exclusively in this episode so next week uh, i will return to a normal episode you know this will all go back to normal i'll see you all next week again thank you (laughs) 